what I'm going to do is read Acts chapter 26, 1 through 11, and then we're going to pray. Okay? So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate um, that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our, our, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. We're going to stop there. So let's pray. So Lord, as we look at this section of Paul's defense, as we look at what has led up to it, as we look at what this section can say to us today, we pray, Lord, for your wisdom and guidance. We pray, Lord, for your understanding and your help. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share with these people. So bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, this, this message is, you know, there are, there are so many things going on in the world today. We could talk about social issues. We could talk about, we could talk about all kinds of things. We're going to talk about people today. We're just going to talk about people. You, me, people out there, just people. There's lots of people, and we can talk about these people, and God put all these people everywhere. So we're going to talk about people today. So Paul, whose pers- person we're going to talk about, Paul has a testimony. Paul has a story. Paul has something to share with Agrippa. You know what? So do you. You have a testimony. You have a story. You have something to share with maybe your own little Agrippa that might be out there somewhere. So my main point to the message this morning is whether we share our testimony before paupers or kings, the gospel message stays the same. So whether we share our testimony before paupers or kings, 
the gospel message stays the same. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different things. We're going to look at, first of all, God has provided for us uh, three different things that we can use in our story. And I think it's exemplified here in, in our passage. One of these things is God provides a venue for us. God provides a venue, and that's the world. Our venue is the world. It's not this building. It's not anything else. He's provided the world for us. The next thing, he's given us tools to be able to do that. That tool is our testimony. That tool is the story that God has given. That tool is the thing that God, how God changed our lives to make us what we are today. So he gave us tools to do that. And then finally, he gave us a message as well. So those are the things we're going to look at. We're going to look at those, those three things. We'll see how far we get. And uh, so by first point, the venue or the world, as with Paul, God gives us a ready-made audience. As with Paul, God gives us a ready-made audience. The, the world is at our feet. We have an audience out there. Some of us are goofy and we, we like our audiences. Some of us don't. But when we are performing in a venue, one of the things that happens, you're watched. People look at you. If you are part, the person that is performing in the venue, you have spectators. It's an audience. But see, spectators, and I think we need to realize this, and I'm going to state it over and over throughout this message, spectators are just that. They're nothing more. They're spectators. What do spectators do? I was going to say they spectate, but I don't think that's a word. But they watch. That's all they do. Paul knew that he was going to have the opportunity to speak to people from day one. I mean, that's, that's his lifestyle was always in the forefront of things. He always knew that he was going to be able to speak to them, that God was going to use them. Even at his conversion, when he's thrown off the horse, he is struck blind, and he is taken to a house, and he's there just praying and waiting, and God speaks to Ananias. And... He tells Ananias he wants him to go see Paul. And this is Ananias' answer. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. See, Paul was well known. I have heard many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord says to Ananias, listen to this. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it begins. Paul's story begins. And his life changes drastically. He would stand before the Gentiles. He would stand before kings. This is a guy that just wanted to pay attention to Jews and kind of pick on Christians. That was his goal. He didn't necessarily think he was going to stand before kings and, and Gentiles. But, you know, Paul was the kind of guy that lived what he believed 
Okay, He believed that he should hate Christians and persecute them, and he did it wholeheartedly. Once he became a Christian, he believed he should preach the gospel, and he did it wholeheartedly. Jesus was real to him after he was converted. And he heard from Jesus himself. It was just a miraculous thing that happened to him, and he was called to spread the gospel. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to tell everybody. He was supposed to tell everybody everywhere about Jesus. See, the gospel affected his life. The gospel changed the way he viewed life. He changed him from a persecutor to a proclaimer of the gospel. God changes the lives of individuals. That's what he does. That's what God does. He's done it over and over again to people throughout history. He changes the lives of individuals. When the introduction of God into a life happens, God makes an adjustment. He makes a change in our outlook. He makes us a new creation. We see people differently and people see us differently. And all of a sudden, you're given a venue. You have the world before you. And the world is watching. It's your world. You're provided an audience. There are spectators. But there are also opportunities. And it's opportunities to impact people. That's where, why God has called us to do this. God has called people to go forth to Take these opportunities in impact people. There are many examples of this in, in the book of Acts alone. If you look at it, Peter and Cornelius is an example. Peter talks to, goes and talks to Cornelius. The gospel is shared. Lives are changed. His life was never the same. His household was never the same. Cornelius's. Paul and Lydia. Paul talks to her about the things of God in Acts 16, 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after that she was baptized. Her life was never the same again. See, God changes the life of individuals. Paul being called by Jesus. His life has changed. His work, his friends, his purpose in life was changed. His life was never the same. He ended up traveling and teaching and preaching. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. He was watched, and he was arrested But he acted on what he believed. He held tight to the truths. Now he's before Agrippa, a new little venue that he's in. Agrippa, well, Agrippa was part of the Herod family. I debate about sharing all this, but I, I think it's important. Agrippa was part of the Herod family, nasty family, immoral family, you wouldn't want them as in-laws, okay? Um, the patriarch of the family was Herod the Great. If you remember Herod the Great, he was the one that, that wanted all the babies destroyed because he wanted to make sure that Jesus was killed. That was Herod the Great. Herod's, Herod the Great's son, Antipas, he was the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. Fun guy. Agrippa I was next. He had Stephen killed in Acts chapter 7, which Paul approved of. And now we have Agrippa II. Okay, that's who we have now. 
And so Paul is before Agrippa II. There's one thing about all these Herods that I think we need to look at, and I think it can speak to us a little bit. This is what I want you to see. One thing they all had in common, they, they watched. They, they were always watching people. They were always watching what was going on. They wanted to see something. They were watching out for themselves a lot, but they wanted to see what was going on. Herod the Great watched for the coming of Jesus. He watched for the wise men. He wanted to see what was going on so he could have an effect on, on the outcome of that. Herod Antipas saw how people around him perceived him. And out of a fear of man, he had John the Baptist beheaded because he was afraid of what people He was watching people. He was seeing and he was afraid of what they would do, how they would treat him back. Agrippa I had Stephen killed. And what does it say? It says he saw that it pleased the Jews. And so he had Peter arrested. Okay, these people were always watching, always watching, not for good necessarily, but they were always watching. They were always in the habit of watching. And now Paul is before Agrippa II. Tough crowd. But he's there, and you know what? He wants to listen. He wants to hear Paul. It's fascinating to me how much we put in the, por- in the importance of people watching us. I think a lot of times we, we put a, a, a society today kind of teaches us that because we're in an entertainment society. We, we like, like to find entertainment. We like to entertain. We sing. We dance. If you're a good entertainer, you juggle. If that's, you know, that's important. But, you know, most of these, or many, many of these entertainers do it out of the joy of just entertaining. They like to see the joy in people's hearts. They like to see people watching them, and and it just fills their heart with just warm fuzzies. But you have other people that are always concerned. Well, did they think it was good? Did I do okay? What's their opinion? Do I have their approval? And it's a fear of man that's underlying in that. And a lot of times that affects us. It's a lifelong battle for many people. Let's take baseball as an example. As most of you know, I know about this much about sports, okay? But let's take baseball. Baseball, America's pastime, is one of the I don't know. You, you, you go to a baseball game to sit and watch. You're a, you're a watch. You're watching the game. Now, all these watchers, this is the audience. Everybody's out there. And you have the batter come up to plate. He comes up to the plate and he, he stands to the plate. He takes his bat. Does he stop and say, um, how am I doing? How am I doing here? Am I standing right or should I get a little closer? He isn't asking. The people in the box seats, how he should bat. He isn't asking people, once he swings and he misses, what should I have done better? Should I have, should I have choked up on the bat a little more? Should I keep my eye on the ball? What should I have done that would help them? You know, a lot of times we go through life, I mean, we, we wouldn't want, a, a baseball game would last a month <laughs> if that would happen. If we were going to do that, we don't, the players do not play to make the spectators happy. They play to win the game. 
And the only spectator in baseball that we should be concerned about is one person, and that's the umpire. The umpire is watching. The umpire makes the call. The umpire makes the decisions, whether it's an out or a strike or a ball. He's the guy with the authority. The people are just people. They're just people. Many times we live our lives like the spectator is the umpire. We always think that they're the ones that have all the say. They're the ones that I need their approval from. They're the ones that are critics and I have to do whatever they say. And it keeps us from doing what we're called to do because we're walking in fear. And it's a distraction to us. In the venue of our life, we are more concerned about what the audience is thinking than what the Lord is thinking. And it's time to change that. We see people like these little gods that are running all over the place, wreaking havoc in our lives. And that's not what people are there for. People are there for us to share the gospel to. God is the one who sees. He's the one who has authority. Don't be overcome by, by what the, the watching of man does. Paul wasn't trying to please Agrippa. He was being respectful toward Agrippa. But he wanted him to consider. He wanted him to understand. He wanted him to hear the gospel. Paul saw Agrippa for what he was. He was a watcher. And Paul was going to provide something for him. He was part of the audience. He wanted him to see the message of the gospel. How do you see your life? Do you see your life as a spectator? Or is your life a venue? Are you a watcher? Are you a person with a message? Who is the one you live for? Do you live to please the spectator? Or do you listen to the umpire? Paul was given a platform to be heard and watched for the glory of God. Paul wasn't supposed to be a spectator and neither are we. God has placed his people on this earth to bring a message. And that message is something we need to bring. So in order to bring a message, we need tools to do that, right? So let's look at the second, the tools. The tools of this message, the tools that we will use to to share in our venue is our testimony. That's what Paul was using. Point number two, the tools. In Christ, we all have a story to tell. Simple as that. It's interesting how God sets things up so that, so that we have a story to tell and that we have an audience to tell it to. Agrippa's desire, I mean, this is how God set it up. Agrippa's desire was to listen. What does he say in Acts 25, 22? He said, I would like to hear this man myself. Sounds like a Russian spy. Agrippa was... Strange like that. I'd like to hear this man myself. Sorry about that. Um, and so, it ha- okay. It just so happens that Paul wanted to talk and he wanted to hear. The thing is, Paul didn't sit down and say, okay, let me give you the seven points as to why you need to believe in the resurrection. 
This isn't what he said. He didn't start talking some deep theological discussion with him, trying to prove some point of eschatological wonder so that he would be in awe of who Paul was. No, Paul shared his testimony. Paul shared his story. That's the tool that God provides. It's your story. And Paul talks about it. Paul talks about his life. It's not a proud moment for him to talk about his life. He's humbling himself and he's talking about all the things that he did. He's got level honest with Agrippa. He was a Jew. Everybody knew that he was a Jew. He was from a prominent family. He was a Jewish rock star in persecuting the church. Everybody knew it. Ananias knew it. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee. He was religious. He was obedient. He was legalistic. He believed, this is strange, he believed he was doing good in persecuting Christians. He thought that was a good thing. He locked them up in prison. When they were put to death, he went along with it. He punished them when he found them and he tried to get them to deny their faith. He was proud of what he did at the time. He was on a mission. He was working for the high priest. Probably in Paul's mind, he's thinking, I've arrived. He had such zeal, such passion, and it was all going in the wrong direction. Every bit of it. Paul was being humble. Our story is humble. When we come right down to it, each one of us has a humble story. We're sinners in need of a savior. And how God applies that to us is our story. But he was sharing the truth. God did amazing things in Paul's life. But you know, God has done amazing things in your life. And they're things to be shared. I love to hear what God has done in people's lives. I can sit all day and listen to what God has done. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to hear. It's encouraging to hear how a life is changed. It's encouraging to hear how prayers are answered. It's encouraging to hear how God brings you from one place to another once you've known him. It's very inviting. That's what a testimony does. It invites people in. And that's what Paul was doing to to Agrippa. He was inviting him in to his world so that he could see, and it was very practical. A person's testimony is a tool that is given to us by God. It's a tool for us to use. It's about our experience with God. It's a -a one-of-a-kind thing. You can't change it for them. I can't change Roxanne's testimony. She can't change mine. They're our testimonies of what God did in our lives, and it's to be shared with others. You're coming to your faith as a personal experience. It's a deep experience. It's a meaningful experience. And God wants it that way. You know, when you're born, when you were born at your birth, no one could be born for you. Your mother probably would have hoped so, but no one could be born for you. It's your experience, your birthday, your family, your childhood, your life, and that's what happens. When you become born again, 
That's your experience with God. It's a new hope. It's a new family with the sense that now you are a child of God. You're coming to faith in Christ. You're believing. It's a new life. It's your experience. It's your spiritual birthday. And you're coming into the family of God with purpose, with direction. Jesus says we must be born again. Jesus tells us that there's a way to have our sins forgiven. Jesus tells us that there's a resurrection from the dead. Paul wants Agrippa to hear that. Paul experienced many of those things. He wants the spectator to see God in a new way. That's what we want. We want people to see God in a new way. Agrippa was quite quite the spectacle. I don't know if any of you... I don't know if any of you are old enough. Let's see. Um, during Easter, during the Easter season, and, and some towns, I don't think anybody does this anymore. When I was little, when I was little, our hometown did this. It used to be at Easter, on a Sunday afternoon, on an Easter Sunday, you would dress up and you would go downtown and you'd walk around in all your, your Easter garb. It was, it was strange. It was, there's actually, this is the, this is the sad thing. There's actually a newspaper article of me when I'm three years old, standing with my parents and my brother, and it was the Easter parade. And I'll show it to you sometime if you want to see it. I'm as cute as Dickens. But anyway, um, everybody wanted to dress up and put on this this garb, the ladies would wear their strange-looking hats, and they would walk down the streets, and they would wave, and they would say hi to people, and that, that was it. It wasn't like an Easter bunny float or anything like that. It was just people walking up and down the street. That was the Easter parade. It's not done very often anymore. You know, Agrippa was quite a spectacle. He had these big robes. It's like he was his own Easter parade, okay? He had these big robes, and he was walking in. He had trumpets blaring as he's walking in, and he's just, everything is so, so musical and fanfare for him. And Paul wants Agrippa to see that, you know what? In your present condition, you may look kind of cute, but you got some things missing, Okay? Without a relationship with Jesus, without the idea of the resurrection, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Without Jesus as our Savior, Agrippa is no more than a hanger for his robe. Without Jesus, people are no more than hangers for their clothes. Strange statement. They have no purpose. It's a temporary stay here on earth. No hope more than that. When it comes right down to it, without God in our life, I think Spurgeon said it best. He says, our life is just a strainer for food and drink. What a strange idea. That's all our life is without God. God's intent and desire is much more for his creation. People are more than a hanger for clothes and a strainer for food. God wants them to be drawn to him. 
Paul's humble communication is laying out of his own past catches Agrippa's attention. He wants to hear more. It's what God did in his life. It peaks that attention in people's lives when we share and when we tell the story. So we need to start practicing that. Practice telling your story. It's one way to bring the gospel just a, further into the, a little further into the world. But let's go to the, what the message is. What are we saying when we're talking about this message? Paul brings up the resurrection. And my last point, the message, resurrection, his and ours, is a pivotal part of the gospel. Resurrection, his and ours, is a pivotal part of the gospel. I remember in college when we were, when we were talking about the churches that we would take once we graduated. And there were lots of choices for churches. You know, we had our ideals as to what we want for a church. I would like an established church that was well financially endowed and had a nice parsonage. Or I would like some sort of urban church and get into the city and, and really work with the poor and, and do all kinds of things. And other people would say, well, I'd like a just a nice, peaceful country church where I could just go and do my sermon and marry and bury people and things along that line. Okay, One church, there was one category that nobody wanted. One category of church, and they say, that's the dead church. You don't want that church. That church is dead. It's just made up of old people. They're just waiting their time. And everybody just kind of say, okay. And the, the, the little sayings like this, they would regard churches, they, they would say it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. So it's easier to start a new church than to go into one that seems to be dead, is what they'd say. In light of the resurrection, I don't know if that's true. (laughs) I think if we took a survey, I don't know if moms would say that it's easier to give birth than raise the dead. But the question we do ask is, Do we take the resurrection lightly? Do we say, well, in my view, that is a hopeless situation and God can't do anything with that? Is that how we start to look at things? God's in the business of raising the dead. God is in the business of changing lives. God is in the business of making things new. But like our statement about church planting, we put the deeds of man on a higher plane than the work of God. Too often that's the way we start looking at things. We're seeing that man, man's hindrances, man's limitations stand in the way of what God could do. We look at what God could do through a filter of man's limitations. And that's what gives us limitations, basically. That's what limits us in our faith, in our action, in our obedience to his word. It limits our lives when we don't see what God can fully do. When Festus was wondering what to do with Paul, Festus was the first governor that Paul was with. He was kind of a leftover, or or Felix was the first one. He was a leftover when Felix was governor. He said to Agrippa, and this this is how he viewed 
the resurrection. I want you to see this. Acts 25, 19. The Jews had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead. This is what he said. Who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. That was the issue. They saw dead is dead. The possibility of the resurrection really wasn't there. In our passage in verse 8, Paul asked the questions, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? It's worth repeating. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? When it comes to Christianity, this is a pivotal part of the gospel message. Do you live like you believe in the resurrection? Or is it sort of some sort of comfort to you because you realize and you feel like death is a long way off? Do you have peace about your life as it is? Do you have a hope? Or do you have this underlying nagging, this feeling that your hope is, you're hoping it's true? You know, the true meaning of hope and this is this is something that people go back and forth on. The true meaning of hope is extremely optimistic. Hope is a very optimistic word. Too often we put hope as an iffy word. You know, we say, I kind of hope so. Or I had hoped that it was going to work out a little differently. It's sort of sitting on the fence. We We sort of sit on the hope fence of something that's drastically bad or extremely good, and we're, we're kind of in the middle there, and that's what we think hope is. Hope, the resurrection, the Greek word is a confident expectation of something good. That's what hope means, a confident expectation of something good. It was the Puritan Thomas Manton that said, confidence in the resurrection should make us go to the grave as cheerfully as we go to our beds. Confidence in the resurrection should make us go to the grave as cheerfully as we go to our beds. It would make us die more comfortably, he said, and sleep more quietly. How important is a solid belief in the resurrection? Well, you know what? I'm going to let Paul tell you. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. 12 through 21, because I think this is the best passage that you can get on it. Starting at verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If In Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man comes also the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection is his. The resurrection is ours. It's foundational to the gospel message. It's foundational to our faith. And it's a message to tell. The gospel message is a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message of resurrection. It's a message for everybody to hear. Paul's world was a great venue. He had an amazing venue. And he had tools to tell a great story and a great message. He didn't write things off and feel that people were hopeless and and weren't worth the time to tell the story to. If you think there are hopeless cases, think again. Because there aren't hopeless cases. If you think you're a hopeless case, think again. You are not a hopeless case because God can do all things. Now, for the Christian in closing, God has given you a life. Don't worry about who's watching you. Don't think about the spectators. Think about who the umpire is. That is God. He has given you a story to tell, whatever it is. It may not be Paul's story, but it is your story. Tell your story. For those of you that don't know Jesus as their personal Savior, Jesus says, come. Ask forgiveness of your sins and come to him. Give your life to him. Be more than a hanger for your clothes and a strainer for food and drink. The resurrection of eternal life is only for those who believe. Don't wait. And then you can tell a story. So let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Lord, we thank you for Paul's life. We thank you for his testimony, his example. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken lives and changed them. You have given us a venue, an audience. You have given us a story to tell, the gospel message and how you've affected our lives. And you've also given us the message of the resurrection. So, Lord, help us. Help us to grow in our faith and our trust in you. Help us to fight against the fear of man and the things of this world. And help us to stand firm in the zeal and the confidence and the hope of the resurrection. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.